joining me this week on the Fuji Love podcast. This is going to be kind of a midsummer shakeup. We're bringing all of Fuji Love into this podcast. Uh, we are bringing in uh, the, the the YouTube channel, the the writing articles portions. We're, we're bringing everybody in. So let me first introduce Fred Ranger. He is been a guest on the show before. He is uh, the 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 face of Fuji Love on the YouTube channel, doing great interviews, and he has his own YouTube channel. Fred, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. And then we also have a great contributor, great writer, if you've been to Fujilove.com. Uh, he is the legend, the big head taco himself, Take Kayo. How's it going, Take? It is going most excellent. Thank you so much for having me on again. Oh, my God. Uh, this is the first time I've been uh, able to talk to you, man. And uh, I, I am super excited. We'll have to have you on separately just to... Uh, uh, you know, fill in the gap of what you've been up to, man. But today I want to bring you all together just to kind of share our Fuji film experiences. Uh, it's been uh, uh, a crazy year already, uh, whether it's been, uh, you know, life and, and, and all the, the new announcements and the, the new gear coming in from Fuji and we've had time to use it. Uh, I thought we'd just share our experiences and kind of talk about what we're most looking forward to. Uh, maybe, maybe do a little predictions and uh, uh, you know see if we can make some cool, uh, cool guesses at what's coming up. Uh, but first, I want to share a very important message from our managing editor. He is the owner of the 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 fuji love franchise he is a uh, special message from tomas chibiatowski uh, i'm polish and i should be able to say that a little better <laughs> <laughs> so his special message is to tell everybody i said he said hi <laughs> he says hi oh tomas he's very tomas <laughs> you know he's he says hi and uh he loves you guys and you all doing a great job we don't want the boss around anyway so it's fine no. we could talk about him <laughs> behind his back <laughs> um so fred let's start with you um you have been uh testing a lot of gear this year and in addition to the fujifilm uh, gear, you also have purchased a really beautiful Leica camera. Uh, I, I mean, I've personally been watching the uh, Instagram feed where you, you have so refreshingly and, and, and to great beauty unveiled the, 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 the cameras and everything. You, 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 uh, photograph them very well. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said, I think I've said invested because I guess for Leica, that's, that's the right word. Right. So it, I didn't purchase it. And it, it, uh, when I, when I said it to my girlfriend, I said, uh, honey, I've, I've invested in a camera. Uh, it, it went by, uh, you know, smoothly for now. <laughs> that, uh, I mean, we'll see how the market rates go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean that that tracks. That that that's that's a fair uh, fair assessment. Um, so, 
how, how has 2020, uh, no, 2021, uh, <laughs> man, where does the time go? How, how has, uh, this year treated you, man? Man, it's been, uh, it's been challenging. Uh, and also it, uh, it's been a, you know, a year where I've been able to take a step back and I would say a, a step back from gear because, uh, just like, you know, Taki and, and you, I'm as interested in the gear as I am into the, the art and, and the, you know, the act of photographing and so on and so forth. But, um, I mean, although I've, I've tested a lot of, you know, lenses and bodies and so on, I think what I'm most proud of is that the photography I'm producing, at least over the past uh, few months, is more intentional. It's less about, you know, frequency and the algorithm and so on and so forth. Uh, it's more about, you know, being intentional with my photography, trying to, to say something with the photography, and also um, building a community. You, I mean, you mentioned the Fuji Love conversation, those those have been very, very inspiring. I've, you know, I got to talk to, you know, people like Taki and, and Brian Miner and, and, and uh, you know, Joe Allen and all these guys that are uh, basically people that use photography as uh, a way to, to stay sane, to stay creative, to stay productive. So again, it's been it's been challenging here like, uh, like anybody else, uh, but also very inspiring at the same time. Right on, man. And Taki. How has this life, uh, the, the, this, uh, yeah, this life, <laughs> my goodness, um, how has this year treated you, man? Yeah, I guess, uh, like a lot of us, we've, there's certain aspects of our life that has changed quite a bit and others that hasn't changed. So for me, getting gear, reviewing it, you know, writing an article, uploading a YouTube video, like all that has kind of been very similar. Uh, except working more in isolation, which kind of a thing all of us kind of work alone a lot of the time. So that hasn't changed. But travel was a big part of what I do. And not being able to travel to create a lot of my content was a bit of a challenge. But, you know, I think for us living in North America, we, we live in a pretty privileged society. Like our governments have lots of money. Um, the, the reaction to, to COVID in general was pretty good compared to a lot of other places in the world. So uh, I want to be grateful for living in a city like Vancouver. Uh, I don't want to whine too much, but uh, definitely I did have to adapt of how I got most of my pictures. And a lot of it was at, at night because fewer people, um, less restrictions. And I kind of liked the loneliness of shooting at night. It was kind of reflective of how I felt kind of isolated. So it matched my mood and my pictures kind of changed away from a lot of street portraiture and a lot of pictures of my of, of friends and people that I meet on the street and moved more towards night scenes, architectural, that, that kind of stuff. And so when it comes to my photography, definitely a, a huge shift in terms of my mood, which then affects what I actually take pictures of. So at the time of this recording, uh, we are uh, July fifteenth. Um, what what is you're both in Canada? Um, what are the rules in place right now for for COVID? Um, so, so, Fred, uh, let's start with you. You're on the east coast of uh, Canada. Yeah, here in Montreal. I mean, uh, we have been in and out of lockdowns over the past few months. Things are starting to, to, to look very good. Uh, the cases are very low. Uh, we're allowed to go now uh, in bars and restaurants, of course, with masks inside. But uh, until, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago, it was still 
not uh, possible to go inside a resto. So that that for and just in time for summer. So that's very very good timing. And also you see a lot of uh, a lot of photographers, including myself, hitting the streets and uh, looking at the scenes. And and it's good to see that uh, now there's people on the street and people inside the. Uh, the commerce uh, all around the, the city. Uh, we, we were still uh, not able to go to the U.S., of course. The border is closed. And also um, traveling between provinces. I mean, Taki, I don't know for you, but uh, we, you can do it, but it's it's it's, it's still not recommended. Uh, and, and of course, the, the variant is uh, is causing a bit of a bit of an issue in some provinces across Canada. Man, that variant, it's crazy. Um yeah yeah uh, uh man <laughs> i'm only i i hope pray it doesn't get worse um in yeah, the united states the, the second dose is uh is helping uh, hopefully pfizer and moderna second doses uh work <laughs> yeah and, and if you and, need a third one let's do it you know <laughs> um so far so good uh from from what i hear uh the 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 two jabs and and you're pretty good for set for a while uh, here in the United States. Uh, of, of course, uh, I've mentioned it uh, previous episodes of the podcast, um, but it's it, it, depending on what state you're in, uh, you know, people are partying like it's 2019 uh, other places. It's a little bit more uh, reserved and, and people are going from place to place, store to store, but still masked up. Uh, where I am, you know, just north of Boston, uh, it, it's kind of half and half. You have some people that are, you know, you know, woohoo, we're free and no more masks, and uh, the other half still wearing masks. Um, and then travel just a little bit north to New Hampshire, and it's 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 just a free for all party. Um, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Um, yeah, and, you know, and for, for for photography, that's one of the issues, like other than the whole health issue. And, and obviously, that's the primary reason why we should be concerned. But from a photographic and a sociological kind of cultural thing, when you're doing street photography and everyone's wearing masks, it kind of at first it was novel. And now it's just you're tired of it, right? You, you don't want to take a picture of people in a sea of masks. You kind of but, you know, you know why people are wearing it. So I'm not upset or angry that they're wearing masks they you know we should especially in close proximity but then i just don't feel like taking pictures even my wife uh sometimes she takes a mask off because i want a shot and then i can see the wrinkles of the of the mask line on her face yeah and i tell her like oh no no, i said forget it the the way the lighting works it's accentuating the lines on your face and you know you want to look good and i know you won't like this photo so just forget it we're not we're not taking this photo and, and those are things we didn't think about two years ago, right? Like mask lines. And now it's it's a thing where, you know, she takes off just for a minute to shoot in a stairwell. But then people are coming up and down and she has her mask off and she's not supposed to have it off. So those are the things that kind of logistically uh, kind of affects even sort of my, my workflow of like, I'm not taking pictures of people anymore because everyone's masked up and it's just not fun. I would imagine, for, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I am by means not a good street photographer uh, because everybody is masked up that that feeling of repetition can build up a lot sooner than anticipated you you, you because there's no 
diversity in facial reaction, you know, you'll, you'll take a few photos and then you'll feel maybe it's, you, you know, you, you've, you, you've, you've done all you can in this particular location, move on to another location. Um, just because you're, you're not getting that diversity in, um, reactions. Well, I think it's a psychological barrier when people wear masks, they're protecting themselves. And because of that, when some random stranger comes up to you and starts talking, they're less likely to talk to you. They're kind of like, why, why are you talking to me for? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Where before you could just, someone's sitting there and they're they're smoking or eating or drinking and say, hey, how's it going? Enjoying your day. Instead, it's kind of like, whoa, wow, that pandemic. Like that's kind of on the minds of people. It's just a lot harder. And I like the 28 mil uh, uh equivalent field of view, right? So in Fujifilm, it's an 18 mil. I like yeah. that wide angle, which means I have to work closer to my subjects. But now with COVID, I feel a little bit wary of getting that close, or I don't use the EVF. I just use the LCD and kind of stretch my arm out. So physically, I'm still three feet from my subject, but the camera is much closer to their face. So even the way I shoot and the way I approach and reading body language, you know, most people kind of look like, look, I'm here, I'm grabbing and I'm leaving don't talk to me. Yeah. Kind of get that body language from people. And understandably, like people shouldn't be just chit chatting just everywhere. You know, even when people eat, it's kind of you eat and then you leave. And then there's these plastic barriers between tables. So even turning around and saying, Oh, that's a cute baby. What's her name? And do you mind if I take a photo? Like that kind of stuff is now taken away. Right. So it's a lot harder to get those impromptu portraits of people when you're out and about. Yeah. I I didn't even think of that. (laughs) Um, that's incredible. Um, so with that, what have you done, uh, to kind of pass that time? Like, have you both done anything new in your photography, uh, that would, uh, help you with your process or, or with your, uh, you know, help you deal with the the change in the in the way you do photography. Yeah. Let, let's start with you, Fred. Yeah, absolutely. For for me, um, and I've uh, I've done a couple videos on that, but I, I've uh, I've invested in my photography by buying books. Uh, I mean, we were all locked down, and um, the best thing I, I I thought about was to look at you know the masters, also new photographers, getting getting a bit of a of a refresh on on my own photography and thinking about you know, composition, light, and all the basic stuff that we tend to forget when we, you know, start looking at the gear and the, the, the depth of field and the latest autofocus speed and so on and so forth. I wanted to go back to basics and, oh my God, I've, I've discovered some books. I mean, Sword Lighter, uh, uh, Stephen Shore, um, and, uh, Jackson, I think, a new, new photographer out of London, um, Josh Jackson, I think is his name. Uh, man, I've I've been so inspired by reading those books. And another thing I've I've done is going back to film. Uh, again, kind of hitting the reset button. Might as well, right? So while we were yeah. locked down, I said, why not reconnecting uh, with the essence of photography? Put in light on film. And uh, I will say something. I will say that uh, uh, I, I I forgot a lot of the, of the notion and how you expose, how you overexpose versus underexpose on digital and so on and so forth. So for me, it was the way to keep sane, the way to keep creative. And um, and again, just by looking at those books, shooting film and thinking about 
uh, being more intentional with my photography that that what uh, actually kept me kept me sane over the, the past few months all right so i gotta ask you with with, with the film cameras um what was your best film simulation? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, Classic Neg is is definitely the one that's more film esque, if I can say. Um, I've been a I've been a Classic Chrome like a like a you know a lot of people, uh, big fan of Classic Chrome. Uh, but to be honest, I, I again maybe it's it's me going back to basics, but that that just that standard you know uh, JPEG that comes out of the the Fujifilm, is it Provia, Taki, the, the one that's just the, the default, like the standard? Provia. Yeah, that's the standard, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So for me, just a Provia uh, basic one is, uh, is 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 very, very good and, you know, in a lot of situations. So uh, so again, it's, it, it was just aligned with my mindset of going back to basics. Uh, but I will admit that, you know, Classic Neg and Classic Chrome uh, were probably uh, two of my favorites uh, over the past years. With With the film, what kind of film have you been shooting with? Aha. Uh-huh. So that that's the other thing is like, uh, okay, so you're going back to basics, but all of a sudden you have a fridge full of film and it's as expensive as, you know, batteries and, and so on yes. and lenses. So, uh, but uh, I will admit that uh, Hilford uh, HP5 on, on the black and white side of things has been my, my favorite film. And um, although I thought Portra uh, 400 would be the, uh, you know, the, the, the color negative one. I, I I'm falling in love with a, a cheap wall in bracket because it's going up also, but a, with a film called the Kodak Gold uh, 200, and uh, it's it's a very very basic one, uh, but uh, but again it's it's uh, it's it's that very very uh, Kodak look, and and I guess it uh, reminds me of, uh, of my childhood because I've seen a lot of pictures on that uh, that film. Nice. Yes, it's more magenta versus the Fujifilm yeah. tends to be a little bit more green, so great for nature and outdoor. But when it comes to uh, skin tones, the the Kodaks are really nice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, the, I would agree with that. The last time, God, I I, I think I, I can't even remember the the last films I used. I know Across was one of them, and, and I still have some great. Um, compositions of uh my my daughter and my son uh when they were very young and i took them on my mamiya 645 Mm. and sadly i i i broke that camera no (laughs) i broke the prism and i ended up just uh exchanging um the the entire uh thing for uh a canon I think what what is it? It's the film camera, the A one or something. A E one or A one. It's the one that has both uh, shutter priority and uh, aperture priority. Probably the, the I think it's the A E one, isn't it? I think it's the A E one. It's right over there, just out of reach, and I can't reach it. I have so much. Does it have a chrome top on it, like a silver top? Uh, or is it all black? <laughs> it's actually all black. Um. The A one actually, it's it's A one. That's go. the more. That's actually the higher, uh, the more the pricier one. I think it has the uh, PC sync terminal on there somewhere. Yeah, sync terminal. Yeah, that's the higher end one. And uh, I so I've I've played with this for a little bit. Um, I, I've shot a couple rolls of uh, T Max for some uh, black and white. Um, I, I have a, a couple Portra 
films to to use but here's the problem when i unwind uh when, when i rewind you know to after i finish a, a roll of film you you kind of wait to to feel that you know the 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 film goes loose and, and it's like, all right it must be done rolling you know rolling up i uh, i pop open the rear and nope it didn't finish rolling, uh, rolling up. Uh, I, I just killed the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing for like, You just overspin, that? man. You just overspin. You just keep on spinning. I, you know what? I did that uh, the second time. Um, I did that and it was fine. So I have one rolled, uh, but then uh, my, my third roll of uh, T-Max, uh, I did that and I, you know, I spun for, for a little bit. I'm like, all right, it must be good. Nope. It, it, it I, I don't know what happened, but yeah. It, um, Film photography is very muscle me- memory dependent, like many analog things, like driving a stick shift in the cars. And so if you're not shooting a roll a day or a roll a week, you're shooting like a roll in a month or something, those little things that in digital is inconsequential is very consequential when it comes to film, right? Yes. You know, you have to remember to to cock the shutter. If you don't, then you shoot the perfect shot. It's like, oh, I didn't even crank it yet. You know, and then same thing of just rolling the film up. All those little subtle things that, you know, we get used to IBIS. We get used to all these things. And then you go back to basics with film. And it's those little nuanced things that, you know, we get so used to having a cell phone that's buzzing. And then you have an iPad up and then you have a TV going. We're multitasking and we're kind of half everywhere, but never in one place at once with film, you kind of have to all be there at once or you make those silly little mistakes. Right. And yeah. that's kind of why I like film. It, it forces yeah. you. And that's why when I travel and I do travel projects, I typically do a deep dive into film. Like I'll shoot one or two rolls every day and it takes a while to get into that rhythm of film. But once you get into that rhythm and as Fred was mentioning, you know, remember to overexpose, especially if you're shooting negatives, cause you want density in the next. Cause when you overexpose, you actually have more, uh, density in the negative versus underexposing, which is what we're used to doing with digital, right? Because you want to blow up the highlights and all those things, you know, you're saying it out loud to yourself. And then after two or three days, it's just instinctual. You don't even have to think it's there. And then if I don't shoot it for two months, then you make really basic mistakes like that. God, look at you. You smell so smart. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Mark, if, if I can reassure you, my first roll, half of it was with the lens cap on. So again, that that's... that's- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've done phantom rolls. I've I've gone out thinking there was a roll in there, shot all night, and I even remember every shot. Because wow. I'm pretty good with film shots. I remember every picture, and I actually meter off my iPhone, and I do screenshots. So I the screenshot gives me a geotag of where I shot it. Plus, yeah. in the middle, there's an image of what I shot, and then it gives me the exposure. And so other than that, I still remember every shot. And it's like, oh, this would have been so beautiful. But <laughs> there was no roll in there. And this is Take two rolls a day. Yeah, and yeah. I still made that mistake of not having a roll in there. So it happens to the best of us. Oh, man. Film. How it's we... beautiful. I love it. I, I, I love the serum. I love the, they call it on Instagram, the, the, the hashtag is first of the roll, I think. And it's yeah. always like that light leak from yeah. your first frame or your last frame. And I just love it because you can't control that. It's, yeah. out of, it's out of your hands, right? It's almost like a musician who sings live versus singing in a studio. In a studio, you can control everything and redo everything nobody sees. But live, 
you know, the audience all sings along with you in the chorus that maybe you weren't ready for or something happens and it what they do affects what you do. There's kind of like that energy, that back and forth. And you really get that shooting with film because it's so simple, it's so basic, and it's so easy to make a mistake. You're kind of living on the edge and you're like like a live performance. You're always a little bit nervous, right? But that nervousness is kind of gives you a bit of a heightened awareness, which to me helps me to actually take better photos, I believe, versus shooting with digital. Wouldn't that be kind of cool if that was introduced into Fujifilm cameras? Um in addition to film simulation, you have your light leak simulation. Hmm. Like just randomly throwing it in there. That'd be actually kind of neat. Like put like a, a random algorithm that you'd pick and then it just randomly does weird stuff on you. Yeah. Like every, not for every photograph, uh, but like if you wanted to put it into the settings, say, uh, you know, if it reaches, or, or let the camera determine what you know what 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 to do. Like, I don't know. I think that'd be kind of interesting. Well, if they push the uh, the X Pro Three concept to the next level, I guess that could be a next iteration. But uh, I'm predicting that people would would maybe not like it uh, very much because uh, you know just removing the screen was already a, a big topic, right? So uh, I don't yeah. know, man. At the end of the day, if you if you if you're looking at things like that, uh, might as well just pick up a, a good old you know. Pentax or like uh, whatever, and, and shoot yeah. them. JJ <laughs> Abrams would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. I agree with uh, um, with Fred. Like, I'm I'm a huge advocate for the X Pro Three, and even Jonas Rask, right? Jonas, Jonas, yeah. he yeah. even like loves the X Pro Three, and him and I, like, we both have the same camp with film camera. We both shoot with Leica M7s, and we both love the 28. So, like, we shoot very similar film and we shoot very similar digital when it comes to our stills. And yeah, I, I love the X pro three because it's so different where it seems like everybody else, they want everything to all act the same, you know, like every manufacturer, it's a cookie cutter design. It You see in cars now where before you look at a Volvo or a Saab or a Hyundai or a Mercedes, they all look so different, right? Just very distinctive design. Now they're all starting to look the same. And I find camera design is boring that way. They're all starting to look all the same. And the X-Pro3 was so different. People rejected it because it was different. You know, and, and I think that's it's it's innovative for Fujifilm to say, hey, look, we got the same sensor, the same processor, but we got seven different cameras with different design philosophies. And if you don't like that design, then you pick this one and you pick that one. And so I, I like Fujifilm's approach of giving photographers options and even color options, right? Like yeah. the the what finish options? Who does that? Well, Fujifilm does. Sony cameras are all the same one color, other than the new A7C yeah. that kind of does that Fuji thing where they kind of give that metallic top. But look at Canon, look at Sony in general. They just give you one finish, one color. And then the X-Pro3 comes out and it's like, here's three different finishes on their flagship camera with a reverse LCD screen. To me, that's awesome. But for a lot of people who want cookie cutter design or listen to top 20 music, they're like, no, 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 we want auto-tune. We want everything to be like everybody else. We want it all to be the same. So that kind of distinguishes populism and what's cool and what's popular versus those are looking for something unique and a different kind of an experience. And I think that's what separates a lot of Fujifilm shooters from sort of like the mass shooters of mass market Canons and Sonys and stuff like that. So let's put a pin in that for a second. For uh, Put a pin in the Fujifilm stuff. Uh, 
mentioning that the the new Nikon uh, cameras, the, their new APS-C uh, that look very close to what the XT yeah. series is doing. Um, have you had a chance to look at and maybe even get to uh, try the, I, I don't know if it's in camera stores or anything like that right now, but you know, have you checked out the, the new Nikon? I haven't, I'm not, I, if they approach me and ask if they, if I would review it, I would, but I wouldn't go out of my way to ask for it, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, you could. Uh, no, I haven't uh, been able to test it. I don't know if I want to test it, to be honest. And I'm looking at the lens selection. Uh, again, I, I, I don't think Nikon are, are, are investing uh, in the right things at the moment. And I think they're trying to survive. And maybe this is a big thing to say. Uh, but I'm just observing how they're, they're operating over the past few years, I would say. Um, it looks to me as a bit of a desperate move to, to be cool and hip. Just yeah. like Fuji's been for the past 11 years, actually, 12 years. Um, but it is a good looking camera and, and they are going back to their roots. And, you know, a lot of brands have been able to succeed by connecting back to their brand DNA. Um, is it a good camera? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, I, I, I think the camera looks great. The specs on it look great. I don't like the choices of the, 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 the lenses that they provided. I think if they did something similar to what Fuji did, uh, do the 23 millimeter, 35 millimeter. Um, and then I think, what, what did Fuji film do? The 60. It was a, it was a macro 60 yeah. macro. Yeah. There was a uh, three original three lenses, but at least sorry, 18. So it was 18, 35 and the 60 was the first three lenses. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I think they should have done, something similar uh, a 50 millimeter equivalent uh around 35 millimeter equivalent thereabouts um uh i i think those would have been a better choice and with, with with the nice primes too yeah i mean the zoom they they've they've paired with it is you know 16 to 50 so so similar to the to the 16 to 55 uh, but it's a 3.5 to 6.3. Yeah, variable aperture. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. very, very um, variable uh, as an aperture. And, and I don't know uh, that you want that. Again, if you're just a casual shooter, you want a nice looking camera, I'm sure you can have some great results. I mean, Nikon has been known for, you know, image quality and glass and sensors um, and having good sensors in their cameras. But uh, man, I, 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 I'd prefer the 16 to... The 55 uh, 2.8 or the the 2 to f4 uh, on the Fuji mm. side uh, any any time of the day you know yeah, yeah i think they're i think they're 6 years too late to be honest i think they're just stretching yeah. and they're stretching themselves thin cuz remember they're still making dslrs right yeah and now they have their mirrorless line and then they have their crop dslrs and now they come up with this i don't think they have look at fujifilm they're just like apsc for the first until 2017 and they're like we're not looking anywhere else we're gonna stick to this build out an ecosystem where people are comfortable in here and uh, i mean look what sony did with their apsc and look what canon did with their m series it was kind of a half-assed approach to it right and people just left and they're like no i might as well just go full frame which is kind of what they want you to do 
So they kind of use APS-C as a gateway into their full frame where Fujifilm's like, no, no, there's nothing wrong with APS-C and we're going to commit to it. And I think Nikon's doing the same thing with this. It's kind of a parlor trick to get people to buy into it. But I think hopefully they, they want you to go into their, their, their full frame mirrorless stuff and they're not going to build this out, you know, like 30 lenses and five or six different bodies and stuff. I think it's kind of a quick way to, to maybe increase a, a bit of sales, but Long term, I wouldn't. I wouldn't divest out of Fujifilm and get into this. I think you'd crazy. You'd be crazy. Oh, agreed. There, um, I do wish Nikon the best. I, I would hate to see them, you know, fold fold their cards. Um, but yeah, it's focus on what you're good at right now. And their Z series mirrorless, yeah. everyone praises it. It's yeah. like focus on what you're doing really well right now. But I understand they're looking for a cheaper entry point system, but I think they should have worked off of their Z series and just kept that way and not use this kind of a retro thing because they're not going to make many crop sensor lenses. That's my guess. They're not really going to invest in it. Yeah. And because of that, it's like, well, then why would any real series photographer buy into it? And I guess that's the point. They're not really marketing to people like us, right? We're comparing it to the X series and they're like, yeah. we don't care about you guys, which they probably don't. They're looking for the the people that are starting out. It's a gateway camera. They're using their smartphone and they're like, hey, I want a real camera. It's, I think it's 21 megapixels too, which is a weird sensor they're using from their crop DSLR sensors, but it's what they have now. So there is 21 megapixels, which seems a bit low because the next leap with Fujifilm was probably going to be in the high 30s or low 40s, right? Yeah. So it's going to look silly in about a year. Yeah. Agreed. Um, now, coming back to Fujifilm, um, the X-Pro3 was a pretty divisive camera, but it did sell pretty well from what I understand. Um, you have a, a lot of people devoted to that form factor, uh, I, I know Kevin Mullins uses it for 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 the wedding work that he does. Um, a, a lot of photographers love the, the you know using it for street photography and various other types of um, photography. Do you think? And, and let, let's put on tinfoil hats here. Um, do you think that you will still have that? hiding the LCD screen feature and the X-Pro4. I'll let Take go first. He's the X-Pro3 lover and user. <laughs> I think Fujifilm should have the balls to keep it. But in the end, I mean, th think about it. I thought that the X100V would have that as well. And I would have peed my pants if they didn't. Like, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe they took this camera that... They knew it would sell almost no matter what they did and still put on this hated river. And then, you know, the funny thing is everyone that I, cause I, I went to Montreal and Toronto to help promote the X pro three with mm -hmm. mirrors and cameras and everyone that I, and, and also I have the X pro three and everyone that intellectually said they hate it. As soon as they use it all said, Oh, actually this is better than I thought, or actually this is amazing. I was so wrong. So people are judging it by specs. And that's where I tell people, that's where people treat cameras like iPads or like MacBooks. You know, they're treating it like a device and not a tool. Anyone that uses tools knows, hey, look, I'm buying a hammer, 
but I'm not buying it off of a screen. I'm going into the store. I'm feeling the weight of the hammer, the thickness of the handle, the balance of the hammer, you know, maybe hit a few things. You need to actually physically use these things. People don't buy hammers off a spec. They want the feel of, a, of, of these tools. And these cameras are tools. A lot of people treat them like devices. And so they're buying cameras based on specs. And so when you buy the X-Pro3 off a of spec, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Or if you see this reverse LCD screen and you've never seen it before, so it seems stupid to you because nobody else does it. But I think it's genius. And I hope Fujifilm keeps it. But based on their sales numbers, I have a feeling that the X-Pro3 isn't selling as well as what Fujifilm had hoped for. And because of that, I have a feeling they may go back to a more traditional LCD screen. Yeah. I think they will, but I don't want them to. I would, I'd be very I, disappointed if they did. I, I agree with you, Taki. And, and to be honest, yeah. I, I would actually push it even further. And I would love for Fujifilm to... You know, do a bit like Leica MP did, and and remove the screen entirely. Again, if if you want to create a very different experience, if you want to be in a different mindset when you shoot that camera, because again, you can buy an XT4, can buy an XH1 or upcoming XH2, or we're not allowed to talk about that. But uh, anyways, if it comes out, um, mm-hmm. there's a camera for you uh, in this lineup, and I think I still think that there is a a market for a digital camera that feels and look like a film camera. Because again, as, as much as I love film and I'm now in that mindset and I, I love it, um, you know, I love my digital cameras too. I love the ability to look at the photos at the end of the day. Uh, and some people will say, Joel, just tape the uh, the back the back screen. Or no, I, I want a camera that actually look and feel like a film camera, but has the that I have the ability to look at the photos at the end of the day when I remove the card. Right, so so for me, I think they, they they should go even further and remove the screen entirely. I know I'm not. I'm gonna hate. I'm gonna get some hate mail and and some uh, some uh, some hate hashtags after this show. But I, I think that again again to take his point, if they're not selling uh, to the level that that they that they wanted with the uh, you know uh, flip uh, up or, or or hidden screen, remove it entirely. I think that 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 would be the uh, the ultimate uh, uh, camera for me. And then add an extra five hundred dollars, right? Yeah. Do, do it like it does. Remove <laughs> stuff and then like crank the computer. price up. Yeah, make exactly. it more, make it more exclusive. Oh, I want that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, personally, I, I think if the camera didn't sell well, as well as they wanted it to, I think, and this is again my personal opinion, um, based on no information provided by Fujifilm or anything like that. But this was the first time that they did uh, a price increase. Um, it was their first in the line that, that showed this, like we, we had the, what's the starting price on the X pro three? 1799 for the, the standard finish, like the non Duratec finish. Yeah. They haven't dropped it too since it's released. Right. It's, it's the price is that we're like, they're like, we're not budging on this. Like this yeah. is the price and too bad. So sad. But that's and, kind of what they did with the X pro too. They kind of like, they didn't budge until it was discontinued. Then it's like, all right, we'll throw in a, a 23 F two and, and, you know, give you kind of a kit price, but yep. they have, they haven't budged on this baby. They're just like, we're not dropping this thing. And so, 
it kind of makes me feel like they do have the balls for this. Like I have a feeling like the way the price has stuck and I have a feeling it hasn't been selling that well, makes me feel like Fujifilm is like, there's a few engineers that are film photographers. Like, nope, we'll quit if you force us to do that. You know, like they're, they're probably super adamant and they're like, all right, give them a bone. This is the one camera. We'll let the engineers do whatever they want. And even if sales are going to be hit by it, it's our flagship camera. And in a few years, people look back and go, like, that was an innovative camera. I can't believe someone actually made something like this that's so different and so unique. Like, look at all their film cameras from the, the TX1, TX2, which is called the Hasselblad X-Pan here, to yes. their uh, Texas Leicas. To, like, they've had a history of weird cameras, of cameras. People go, like, what, what is Fujifilm doing? They've always been like, we don't care what anybody else does. We're doing our own thing. And that's kind of in their DNA. And so to me, the X-Pro3 and the X100 kind of is sort of like the X-H1, the X-S10, that's kind of like a compromise camera where like, okay, this is what people are asking for. Let's just give people what they want. But the X-Pro to me is like, kind of like, we don't care what people think. This is what we think is a perfect camera and they don't care what anybody else is doing. And that's where I think where the innovation will come. And so I really hope they do keep this reverse screen or if anything, have the hinge on the bottom instead of the side. So instead of a sideways articulating screen, the screen will fold down and then you can flip it around and flip it back up. So then you can have the LCD straight still, like like a normal LCD, and then still flip around and close it if you want. I think that's the closest compromise I can see them doing. Hmm. That's actually pretty brilliant. And still have that weird little mini screen in the back so it makes it look like it's film. That's I've been kind of meditating on that going like, all right, like if I was at Fujifilm, what because I know I know I know um uh Jonas like he loves the X Pro 3 and he I'm sure he'd be like me, he'd be like, Don't mess with the screen. This is so cool, this is so awesome. You'd be stupid to change this. Every other camera has it, so why don't just give this one camera this unique feature? It's your flagship, you're showing off what you can do. It doesn't have to sell well, like most flagship cameras most flagship cars you're just flexing your engineering prowess right it's not about the most sales and so just let the engineers do what they want and make the x pro 4 different from everything else you would be able to all right so on our dream uh dream table here um keep the 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 current version but be able to the current version, you you have that nice little uh, whatever display, the the liquid dis- uh, the liquid display that shows you uh, either the the film simulation or the the current count uh, th- things like that. Currently, you're able to fold it out downwards and, and be able to look at the LCD screen. What you're saying is, go one step further, be able to fold it out, rotate it pop it back so now that the LCD screen is super flush, kind of like the X100, it looks seamless, it, it looks beautiful, so you can have it one way or the other way. Yeah, like the hinges on the bottom and in the middle, so it articulates from the bottom. Yeah. instead right? of the side. Yeah. I would, I, would, I would fold it in and just toss it in my bag, and like I don't care about the screen being scratched, and there's the odd time where you want to shoot like a waist-level final, so it's there if you need it. But mm-hmm. I would never shoot it with it face up. But there's some people who's like, look, that's the way I want to shoot. It's like, okay, go for it. Then that's yeah. the way you want it. But if they do it that way, I think it'll solve those two problems. 
Yep, I I, I agree. I and be able to wow everybody with the beauty. We should message uh, Jonas. He, he's probably sitting there helping them uh, design the next X Pro Force. Like Jonas, mention Jonas this. Listening to this podcast and and just just sweeps a table and starts drawing it out and and, and or picks up picks up the red phone uh, and, and calls Fujifilm saying, "I got it." <laughs> Or they know too much. (laughs) That's why Taki would would still have a job at at Fujifilm and I would be fired. I mean, the guy who removed the screen, no, 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 we don't want him anymore. (laughs) Well, you know what? I think an X100, like, um, first of all, like a mono, like, I think that's a great template, like what Leica does, where, you know, they're the M body and they make multiple versions, like an X100 black and white, like a monochrome, and an X100 without a screen. An X100 with a titanium, like a limited edition X100 titanium, like the X-Pro3, mm. you know, like, or even an X100 uh, limited edition titanium Duratec finish with the reverse screen, like, depending on how much it'll cost, but making yeah. these limited run stuff and charging an extra 500 bucks or something, I think there's a market for it. Guys, I have a confession. I bought an X100V last year at the start of the pandemic and this year as weddings have started to open up a lot more and and i'm kind of in full swing of working the the wedding side um i noticed that my gear i have to do a little bit more refreshing so what i used for weddings was my xt3 my X100 and my X Pro 2 is kind of like in the sidelines. I would throw on the 90 millimeter just in case I needed it. But for the most part, I did a great job with my XT3 and X100. And that what, what would happen is the X100 would be my 23 millimeter. Of course, I can't do anything else otherwise. Uh, but the XT3 primarily used the 35 millimeter F 1.4. And that was my standard setup and great results. Love it. Then I got scared. (laughs) I've had a few screen flickers happen on the XT three, nothing bad photos came out great and everything, but it got me thinking if the XT three kind of goes belly up for a bit and I have to send it in for repairs. What would fill in the gap? My X 100 V can't exactly pop in other lenses. And and it got me thinking maybe I should sell the X 100 and pick up the X E four as kind of like that backup. Um, It's kind of, they're, they're kind of the same camera. Kind of. And so I I bought the XE4. I sold the X100V. Um, I gave it a good home. It, it went into to, to good hands. <laughs> and, and so I tried the XE4. I actually even used it during a wedding. And I got to say, the build quality is great. The, the tininess of it, which I thought would be bad, actually isn't bad at all. It fit really nice in my hands. Um, 
but ultimately, I I I, I returned that too. <laughs> I so not only did I sell my X one hundred V, but I returned my XE four, and instead, what I finally ended up with is another XT three. <laughs> there you go. That is where I ended up with, uh, because, and, and here's the biggest reason why I, I went that route. Um, after that wedding that I used the XE4, um, my second photographer told me that the XT3 went on sale for uh, like $300 off. I'm like, did the math in my head. I'm like, that's better. <laughs> that's uh that's not bad so I, when you uh, do weddings it's good to mirror your cameras when i did weddings i mirrored my cameras like two yeah. same cameras you got your settings and this is the old film days right so sometimes yep. you don't even know what you're grabbing but it's like if all your settings are identical you don't have to rethink like oh what did i set this button for and what's back focus it's great for work when you mirror your cameras and the, the same two bodies yeah and, and so now that I have the the two XT3s, the X Pro uh, as uh, on deck for backup, and then I have an XT2 and XT1 sitting in the dugout, uh, hoping to never be used, but they're there just in case. So all my redundancies are are put in place. Work wise, I don't have to worry. But I feel that there's an emptiness in my heart. Well, Mark, I sold the X100V. <laughs> I, I, I can feel you. I mean, at the end of the day, I think XT4, XT3 is the head, and you know, X100 and X Pro are the heart uh, and the soul. Yes. I think that's 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 the best uh, best way I can describe it. And you don't use them for the same uh, things as Takei mentioned. Um, I, I dabble with all, again, all of these different models and the the most used camera on my, in my arsenal is the X-T4 because it's filming my YouTube videos. And, you know, when I'm on the road and I want just one camera and and two lenses, that's, that's the one that goes in the back. But the one that creates the most, mm, you know, the photos with the most soul and the ones that I appreciate the most probably the x100v <laughs> to be honest yeah uh, if i look at my uh, my library so uh, i can i can relate i mean the it's again it's the head and the heart <laughs> yes yeah i'm Absolutely. sharing my xt4 because it's my it's my camera it's my workhorse and i purposely got the black on black because i didn't want to love it yeah you know like because that silver look it's like oh it's so pretty yeah. though i purposely got black on black because i'm like i don't want to love this thing because when the xh2 comes this is gone like i i don't it's just I bought it for work and work only, and I wouldn't hesitate selling it. But X Pro Three is like I would cry if I sold it because it's just it's so intimate. It actually, it works quite well with Leica rangefinders, especially with the M Seven. Even the on off switch around the shutter button is the same direction on the Leica M Seven as is on the X Pro Three. So when I was switching between the X Pro Three and my Leica M Seven, it felt like the same camera. It felt like I was shooting the same way. And it really got into that kind of that flow state um, when you shoot. The XT4 is like a microwave to me. You know, it's it's a device. It does everything better almost than any other camera. But there's no real affection for it. It just 
does everything I need it to do. And then at the end of the day, I leave it at my studio. I don't really care if I leave it here. X-Pro3 comes home with me every night. So what you're saying is I need to buy an X-Pro3 now. <laughs> mm. uh, wait for the X-Pro4 and they might drop the price on the X-Pro3. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That's smarter. I don't think I could wait. <laughs> do so now here's my dilemma <laughs> do i um do i buy the x save up buy the x pro 3 or i wait a little bit longer and, and start i i got two angels on my shoulder i got i, I got you take with, with the x pro 3 you can say buy this camera, and then I have another little angel that's that looks like Allison Conklin saying, "Go go for the go for the medium format and, and <laughs> invest in that." Well, if we dive into medium format, I think uh, we're gonna have to uh, uh, edit out some of our conversation because you know there's a lot of information, a lot of rumors floating, on, but there's also real information out there. Um, I am, I'm not sure of you guys, but I am ready to jump into digital meeting format soon. Yeah. But based on about what, cause I just reviewed the X, the GFX 100 S and I reviewed all the GFX cameras. I had the 50 S the longest. If I can get the 50 S for the price that I want to pay, even knowing what's coming out, I, I might just buy it. If the price is right. I've only tried the 50 R. Yeah. To me, that's the worst of all of them. How so? The balance is all wrong. The 50S is the ugliest. It has kind of a hunchback, but that deep grip, and because it's narrower, right? Mm -hmm. When you put a lens in the middle, it balances nice. With the GFX 50R, it actually is, is um, let me just see here. I think it's left heavy. It's heavier to one side. And when you hold it all day, it actually starts to feel really uncomfortable. So I know a lot of people okay. say like the 50R is the best, like it feels like an X. No, it doesn't. The 50S with the deep grip, just like on the XS10 and on the XH1, when you have that deep grip, it compensates a lot for not just left and right balance, but front backwards balance. So if you have a heavy lens in the front and you have that deep grip, it makes it a lot easier to hold the camera all day. And maybe me being a street photographer, that helps me. Maybe if you always have your camera in a in a bag or something that doesn't make much of a difference. So if you're going in and out of a bag all day, the 50R is nice because less sharp lines, it's more sleek. It comes in and out of a bag easily. But for me carrying around all day, the 50S has a really nice balance to it. Yeah, guys, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at the GFX uh, 100S that's in my hands right now. So, so thank you, Taki. Uh, that now that you're finished with your review, now I, I get to review it. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I have an 80 millimeter on it, the, the 1.7. Oh. superb lens this is just for that lens it's making me want to switch but to tack his point i'm looking at this lens and i remember having the gfx 50r also and it would be completely off balance it would not be a nice shooting experience now i'm looking at the gfx 100s and it just fits perfectly i, I do have big hands um, so it does fit perfectly in my hands. So uh, to your point, uh, Mark, I, I, and Taki, I guess we're, we're all on the same uh, point in our photographic journey because I'm looking at this and I, I don't want to send it back, man. It's just, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's nice, eh? Like yeah. I just can't, I can't justify the price. No, no, me neither. And that's what I'm saying. If the 50S, like right now it's $5,500. It's a joke because for $500 more, you get the 100S and forget about the megapixels. Even if it was the same 50 megapixels, you're getting IBIS, you get the newer battery. 
um, you know, everything, you get the X processor four versus the X processor pro, which is the third generation. Like everything about it's better for $500 more. Like the 50 S should be like two grand cheaper at least. Cause for a $500 price difference, there's no point in buying the 50 S right now. So yeah. the 50 S drops like 3000, I would consider buying it, but not at 5,500. But Taki, the, the 50 megapixel versus 100, like what's your what, what's your POV on it? What's your point of view? Because I for mean, me, I don't care for what I do. I don't care. I, okay. don't, I don't do client work. I shoot yeah. for myself and I print no larger than maybe 1620. And I've printed APS-C stuff up to that size and it looks perfect. So yeah. for me, I don't need it. If, if I would rather, I would rather get IBIS than an extra. Uh, and also, if you look at the ISO performance, it's about the same as the as the 50s. Hmm. Look at the range, the ISO range is still the same. Yeah, because they've 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 doubled the uh, pixel density from the 50s, right? Because the sensor hasn't gotten bigger, so there's actually more chance of noise. Now it is backside illuminated, and I even tested rolling shutter. Rolling shutter is maybe a little bit better than the 50s, but not much better. It's still really bad. So you still have those inherent weaknesses to digital medium format, which will be ironed out over the next few years. But um, the things I'm most interested in is just the 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 end result image. And the 100S, holy cow, I had to buy new memory cards because of it. Yeah. I'm, I was happy with 64 gigabyte cards. Yeah. I needed 128 with that camera. Yeah. Because I'm shooting uh, raw plus JPEG, right? Uncompressed raw plus uh, fine JPEG. And you just go through a card so fast. And then I've upgraded my... Actually, I have an M1 MacBook Air. I could do H.265 video, no stuttering, no skip frames, nothing. I put in the GFX 100 image files or RAW files and I do 100% uh, zoom. I get the the little spinning beach ball. So my M1 MacBook Air can handle H.265 video, cannot handle the... The the 100s is the only thing that created that beach ball on my M1 MacBook. So I'd need to upgrade my computer, my hard drives, my memory cards, all for 50 megapixels more that I actually don't need. So I'm thinking about more like ecosystem wise. All things being equal, yeah, why not double your 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 sensor uh, your resolution? But because I don't need it, and it'll make me upgrade everything else, it's not worth it for me right now. Yeah, that, that won't fly with camera girl, uh, right, Taiki? That, no, I'll be like, oh, dear, I have to buy the new M2 MacBook and I need to get... Because, you know, even it was... Uh, I still use spinning drives, like H, uh, like spinning hard drives, external hard drives. I haven't bought an SSD yet. Yeah. For what I do, it's fine, especially because it's mostly stills. But with those 100 megapixel uh, files, I'm like, oh, man, like I have to go SSD all the way because... Even so, with my uh, GFX 100s files, instead of storing it off of a hard drive, external hard drive, and then working off of an external hard drive in Lightroom, I plop the files onto my desktop on my M1 MacBook so that it could access it quicker. And even then, I got the beach ball. Wow. Yeah. So that's why that's kind of more of a logistical reason why I don't need 100. The the cost of it doesn't really the benefits of it doesn't outweigh the, the cost for me. So I'd rather just, if I can get a GFX, and this is where we're talking about, like we're not really supposed to talk about this stuff, but there probably is going to be a GFX 50S Mark II. So depending on what that price point is going to be, that'll 
just drop the price of the regular 50S. And I'll review both. And if there isn't a huge difference of like the way I shoot medium format, which is slow, because rolling shutter is really bad. Electronic shutter is still kind of bad because the sensor area is so large, it takes a while for the sensor readout. Yeah. Um, so even though you think the exposure is done, you move the camera and all of a sudden you get these little wobbly images, right? So if there, and I see that in a 100S all the time. So that um, if there isn't a huge difference, I might just buy a 50S if I can get a really good price on it. So what you're saying is I need to buy the X Pro 3. <laughs> yeah, Actually, what for you? Maybe, a, maybe an X-T4 and sell one of your X-T3s. Oh, it's a geez. great camera, the X-T4. Yeah. It's just the new, uh, Fred, like, what, what's your thoughts on the X-T4? And, Not again, emotionally, like in your I, head, in your yeah. head. Mo most used cameras is the MVP of the whole, the whole, you know, array of Fujifilm camera. Most valuable camera. <laughs> okay. So, so one, one more thing. Let, let, let's talk one more thing about the heart of Fujifilm. That is the film simulations. Um, I think, uh, if anything, uh, from my point of view, looking at comments on various websites, that has been like a real uh, fighting point where the older cameras are not getting updated with the, the film simulations. And it's been a little while already. Um, do you think that the XT3 and and so forth are going to receive the the film simulations that are currently not available for them. So we're looking at, uh, God, what is it? Uh, Eterna Bleach Pass. Uh, we're looking at um, what, what, what's the film simulation? Classic Neg is probably the one that everyone's kind of really wanting. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. The Bleach Bypass is okay. I can yeah, I can create that I can create that myself. Yeah. But the classic neg is very difficult to recreate. Because yeah. it acts like like Fred was saying, it acts like film. In some lighting, it looks horrible. You're like, oh, this is a horrible simulation. It's like, yeah, just like real film. Some films just don't work in some situations. So it actually even acts like film. Where yes. it only it looks great in some situations, looks horrible in other situations. Welcome to the film world. <laughs> and I think that's what people want. And yeah. I think it should be pushed. I don't know if I think they will, but they should do it. Yeah, they should. They're not. <laughs> um, and that, man, that, that, that does irk me. Um, I, I don't know if there's, there's limitations to the processors or anything like that. No, it's, just, it's oh, the same yeah. processor. I, I, yeah. It, it's a business decision, I, I, and I think I mean I've I've been a, an X100 original, just like uh, Taki, I guess. But uh, uh, so I've seen you know the Kaizen approach and and being very very generous for older cameras and so on. But I think at the end of the day, they're they're still a business, and and they are a real camera uh, business, uh, unlike Sony, like we mentioned earlier, where they sell a, a you know a boatload of playstations and tvs and so on so the camera sales you know can go up and down and it's it's just another revenue stream whereas fujifilm i i know they're doing some medical stuff and stuff but at the end of the day they still need to, to sell cameras so there needs to be a reason and to tag his point um it is the same sensor 
you know it's got it's got a few bells and whistles like the the flip uh, out screen and so on but at the end of the day it's the same camera so uh so there needs to be more than one or two reasons to buy to buy the xt4 uh so i don't i, I actually don't know if they'll do it um at the end of the day yeah, you know, I, I talked to Billy once about these firmware updates and, you know, he had said to me, look, Take, when we do a firmware update, the, 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 the ecosystem around a firmware update, meaning like, first of all, they need instructions in like, you know, 12 different languages, right? Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, French, German. So when they make all these changes, there's a press release and then they have to update the PDF, um, the PDF um, manuals online. All that has to be updated with all the because it's not just film simulations. They're going to add the uh, focus limiter. There's all these other little nuanced features they've added, right? So adding all that, they have to update all that stuff, and it's like it's thousands of man hours. So they basically will sit there and go, "All right, it's going to cost us four hundred thousand dollars to do a firmware update on the XT3 to add all these extra features. Is it worth it for us? First of all, we're we're sold out of XT3s, or we're no longer making them." Right. And then, okay, how many dealers, how many XT3s are out there? Oh, there's so many out there. Okay, well, they need to move it. No one's buying it. All right, we'll just give them a $300 rebate. Right. And they'll do the math accounting wise. Go, yeah, it's just cheaper for us to, to add a rebate than spend all that time and energy in pulling these guys off of other projects, right? To create this firmware update and then update all that information. He's saying it's, it's more of a logistical thing. Than it is like a technological. He's like, oh, we can easily update everything and anything if we want to. It's just the time and the energy. So they're pumping out all these new cameras now. Where in the past they weren't. So they kind of had a Leica approach, which was keeping these bodies around for a little bit longer than most manufacturers. But to compensate, they give you way more firmware updates. But this is the old X Pro One, X One Hundred, Gen One, Xe One days where they had three cameras, right? Well, now they have like what fourteen different cameras. Mm. And and they don't have the time to do these Kaizen updates because now they're becoming more like Canon and everyone else. Every you know six months to a year, there's a brand new body coming out. And then to go back to a camera that's six cameras ago, you know, will they are they willing to spend that time and energy to do the firm update? It's a like Fred was saying, it's a business decision. And they'll just sit there and look at the numbers and say, nope, we did the numbers on it, and it's just financially and even in terms of of time. We're not pulling people off these other teams just to do a firmware update to a camera that we no longer sell anymore. But they did that for the X-T3. They made the autofocus just as good as the X-T4. Yeah, to me, that's more of a, a technical, like, that That they should. But the little bonus stuff, like film simulations, it's a, it's a they treat it like real film. Like, think about it. They pushed the classic neg onto the... Uh, GFX 50S and 50R, right? And those are older cameras, and it's using the older processor. It's it's using the X Processor Pro, which is the third generation of these of these uh, processors. So they added it to an older processor. So we know that they can push uh, Classic Neg to an X Pro 2, an XT2, an XH1. They just won't do it because again, business wise, they're looking at the GFX series as this is our flagship series. It's a medium format. We want to make everyone happy. We want the sales to do well. So let's just push all these new film simulations to even these older medium format cameras. But they drew the line uh, for whatever reason. I think, I guess, at the X Pro 3 is, and then anything older than that, they're just not going to push the classic neg to it. Other than the GFX 50S and the 50R. That's the only two exceptions they made. 
Nostalgic negative. That's the one I'm thinking of. The oh, that's, that's the brand the- brand new one. That's only on the GFX 100S yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. I want that. <laughs> I think it's okay. Yeah. Fred, have you played with it yet? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've shot, shot it today. Uh, I still prefer classic neck. When it comes, yeah, to- nostalgic neg. I find I hated it at first, but I found when you go back and you start trying to add the simulations to to like to the raw files, I found with skin tones it looked kind of good. It worked out. Yep. I but agree. for street and landscape and stuff, yeah, I, I didn't like it very much. It really has. Uh, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It has a niche niche use and. You know it when you see it. <laughs> um, so the the last thing let's touch on is what it, we we don't get to speculate very often, but if we were to speculate, we we kind of did it with the X Pro Three, and I, I I am the, I am locking that in as as the the next. The, the next X-Pro uh, 4 is that that screen on the back that has the options of both uh, no screen or LCD screen. Um, I, I think that was a great idea on your, uh, on your part, Take, um, to, to be able to do both. Um, I, I think it's great. I, I think we all know the X, X-H2 is around the corner. Do you want to speculate what we're going to see in that? Fred? <laughs> I, I think they don't have a choice, to be honest, to, to go big or, or go home on that one. So I would see this camera, you know, competing against the, the R5 and the Canons and so on. So uh, 8K video that you can downsample to 6K. Um, a, a very, very a good codec and, and good bit rates. And again, a, a video beast. Uh, maybe a, some some inspiration from the the Panasonic uh, the, the the SH that they uh, they come up with. So uh, so again, I, I think they need to to be very very bold with that mm-hmm. camera. And and why not again make it a, a very video oriented camera? The XH1 was very very good. Um, it was video oriented, but then a couple months later, boom, XT3 <laughs> comes out and it's actually better in terms of video features. So I I think that. That was a, an interesting move, but I think they should they should really invest in that uh, video camera. And I would be the first one in line, I guess, Taki two to to sell my XT four and and to get that XH two and and put it on the tripod and and getting getting outside and a nice ibis, you know, a very very nice ibis, not one that jitter when you do the panning from left to right. Again, they they, they they've got an opportunity to take on the video market. Uh, and and I see that as as a very positive thing for them. Um, the, the last point I'll make about the XH2 is I think it should be uh, priced reasonably because that's also something that Fuji can do versus the the, the pro uh, cinema cameras uh, out there. So I think they they also have an advantage there because uh, of the the incredible glass that they make, but also uh, the way they can uh, price the bodies a little bit cheaper than. Uh, the Canons and, and the other guys and the Sonys and so on. Yeah, I like think I have the, I mean, I'm holding the XH, X-H1 in my hand right now. And what you were saying, Fred, that, you know, if the X-H, if they waited on the X-H1 and they put in the X processor four that went into the X-T3, everything about the X-H1 
to me is better than the X-T3. The only difference was the sensor, which two extra megapixels, who cares? It was that X processor four that made the world of difference. And so if the X-H1 had the X processor four, I actually think history would have been quite different. It would have been kinder to the X-H1 because the X-H1 was just using, it was the last camera where they put the, the X processor three into it. And then they just, or X processor pro, which is a third generation, then they discontinued it, right? And then starting with the X-T3 Ford, they used the X processor 4. And so they put their most advanced hardware body that they ever made and put their oldest sense uh, processor in there, which to me was a huge mistake. They just have to wait four months. In fact, when they were making the X-H1, I guarantee you they were just finishing up on the, on the X processor 4. So I, myself, I love the X-H1 when it came out. It had really bad like eye tracking and that kind of stuff because it was the older processor and the video features were kind of mediocre, but I love the ergonomics. And so I too am really anxiously awaiting the X-H2. Everyone was saying the X-H2 was dead until during one of those Fuji conferences, um, they had mentioned that they are working on the X-H2. And as Fred was saying, it's gonna like, so we've had the X processor four since the X-T3 in the fall of 2018, right? So it's going on its fourth year, right? By the end of this year. So it's time for a refresh for a new sensor and a new processor. And I think they're looking at the X-H2 to be that camera to introduce that new processor and that new um, sensor. So it'll probably be in the, like I was saying, in the 30s to 40 megapixel. Uh, it's up to Sony, right? Because Fujifilm no longer makes their own sensor, but it's too spec. Uh, Sony makes it for them, putting the X-Trans uh, color filter array for them. And so whatever Sony's top APS-C sensor is going to be is what Fujifilm is going to use. And then it'll be the, the X-Processor 5. And with that, like uh, Fred was saying, it should be able to do 8K downsample to 6. And to me, it, it'll be the ultimate high. And I do hope that they, they don't use a fully articulating screen. Fred, I don't know what you think about that, but... I, I actually prefer the standard three-way articulating that Fujifilm's been doing since the X-T2, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the three-way for, for what I do. I don't like the flip-out at all. I, I, I actually, I, I was excited about the flip-out. I ended up not using it. It's too small. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I, I use an external monitor. <laughs> yeah, like for, for like the, as a selfie camera, I think it's, it doesn't work for me. To flip it backwards and protect the back, I do like that. But when I do waist level shooting, either for product photography or yeah. for studio work, I don't like the flip out. It makes the camera too wide. It's inefficient and it's off balance because you're looking to the left, but the center of the lens is like six inches over, right? So I know a lot of guys with Panasonic GH4s and stuff, they're used to that off centered LCD screen. I don't like it. I want it centered in the middle. So sometimes when I'm trying to balance something and the screen's flipped out, and it also gets in the way of the strap too. If you're using a strap as sort of an anchor for you to hold your cameras to stabilize it, when you flip out the screen, the strap gets in the way because the lug is not at the end of the articulating screen. It's on the body, right? So it crosses across between the articulating screen and the body. So it kind of gets in the way. So I hope that they just put their standard through a articulating screen on the uh, X-H2. I know what's coming next, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself a little bit of a drum roll here. The XH2 
is going to have a removable LCD screen. Oh, that'd be so sweet. Mm. So you can lock it in sideways or lock it in as a screen on top or, or, or however you want to adjust it. You could pop it out and uh, move it wherever the heck you want. Like a mini GFX 50S. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'd buy that. <laughs> what, is the, what, what does the audience think? Whoa! Oh, can't. because it be, if it becomes modular, that's cool. Because then they can actually give you different resolution EVFs, right? Or even add that tilty, flippy thing, so you can use it in different ways, right? Actually, someone had said to me, Fujifilm created like a like a red, like a box, a box camera, no grip, yeah. no EVF, no nothing, and you just it's a modular camera, and you just add the features that you need. That'd be cool. That I, I I think lock it in. That's that's my prediction, <laughs> my outlandish one. Um, but yeah, that's uh, again video is 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 beyond me. But what what you guys are saying is uh, spot on, and yeah, man. So so what you guys are saying is. I need to buy the X Pro Three. <laughs> I think that's what you're saying. You're hearing a voice in your head, aren't you? I uh, maybe. Um, shh, quiet. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it more than the X One Hundred V. Like I bought the X Pro Three in 2019, like in December, and then I think January the X One Hundred V came out. And I'm like, uh, and I tested it. And it's like, you know what? I felt that the X-Pro3 had more mojo. It just, the quirky reversible screen, the titanium finish, it just, to me, had so much character to it. And then I can put on any of my old Minolta glass or any of the weird, you know, Seven Artisans, the the third-party kind of lenses from China and put really weird pancake stuff on there where the X100, you kind of stuck with that one lens. And so, yeah, I, I, I love my X Pro 3. Is it your most used lens, uh, Take? Which, which one? Uh, sorry, the, is it your most used camera, the X Pro 3? No, like, like what you said, I use my X-T4 more okay. because it's for work, right? I need IBIS because yeah. I do a lot of low light night photography and I want to walk around with a tripod. But if I'm on vacation or if I'm, if I'm not, like tomorrow is a day off with my wife, I'm not, my X-T4 stays at work. Hmm. I take my X-Pro3 or one of my film cameras. So what you're saying is I need to repurchase the X-E4. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, I, Fred, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on the X-E4? On the X-E4? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's 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 a great camera for, for me. The the weather sealing is, is important. Um, it's not weather sealed, right? No, it's not. Yeah. But you know what? It's it's fine. Uh, I yeah. I had a the the wedding that I photographed was a, kind of a misty day, and it didn't take any kind of weather damage or anything like that. It was fine. Yeah, I mean, for for me to to, to your point, Mark. Um, I think we might as well get an X Pro Three. It's it's a uh, uh, it's maybe because I have big hands too, but uh, I find it a bit small on the smaller side. I know you didn't have the same experience, but I find it uh, again. So so the the lack of weather resistant, um, smaller, 
Uh, sometimes it's you know gets front heavy with some of the lenses I have. Uh, now I'm I'm better off with the with the X Pro tree. So what I'm saying is you should buy an X Pro tree. <laughs> there we go. There's the devil I'm looking for. <laughs> but hey, uh, Mark, would you get the 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 Duratec finished one, or are you going to get just the plain black one? Oh, I'm cheap as hell. I'll get the plain black one. Uh, it's still titanium, right? It's just the finish is kind of utilitarian or boring, yeah. whichever way you want to see it. But you know, fun, funny you mentioned that. Um, so Kevin Mullins, uh, he uh, admires photography, but man, his cameras have this beautiful beat up finish. Yeah. I don't understand how he does so much battle damage to his cameras. I am, um, I've had my cameras probably as long as he has. And, and they, they, they hardly have a scratch on them. His man. They're beautiful, beat up, but sandpaper. I, I Maybe it's sandpaper. <laughs> he yes, won't. He won't tell. He's like those kids yeah. that rip their jeans. Maybe in England they have the sandpaper liners in their camera bags. That's just <laughs> those those darn go. Billinghams. Yeah. 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 It's uh, smooth on I the mean, outside, but in the inside, <laughs> <laughs> it's fifty grit. Exactly. <laughs> that's how we, that's how we did it in the war. <laughs> that's how we do it this for that. What about the cushion? Cushion. <laughs> oh, but this guy, I think, I mean, again, I'm, I'm listening to his podcast a lot. I, I, I thought these guys are, are great on the Fuji cast uh, podcast. And, and the way, the way he talks about the way he treats his camera, I, I, I think he, I think he throws them in the back. Like he's not like gentle with it. He's just sending to puts them down and in the rain and in the sand. And I, 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 you know, people say, Oh, it's a tool. And I, I use it like a tool. He literally, use it like a tool and and, yeah. and more like a hammer than a camera to be honest um man i i just had uh neil james on uh the podcast and that guy is such a pleasure uh you got to get him on the 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 uh, yeah. youtube channel to, to talk with him because he he could be reading the phone book and, and he's going to make it sound interesting <laughs> yeah and, and like just I, I could just listen to that guy for hours. I I, I didn't want to say anything at all. <laughs> yeah, he's great, and he's also um you know it shows that he was a a, a previous uh, radio host, like a professional radio host, and you know yeah. Kevin is just funny, so it makes a very very good show. I, I love this show. It's it's awesome. Um, everybody should check it out. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I should. Do you guys stretch before you go on? Does that help with the voice? Headstands, yeah. Oh, Jesus, I, I I should do it. Just there's a, there's a reason why he's on the podcast uh, on the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely the better looking of the two. <laughs> two of us. Um, yeah, I admire I admire podcasters. I think it's cool to just rely on your voice. That's awesome. You never had a podcast, Eki? You never? I I've been on podcasts yeah. even when Tomas did the. We did a little project, right, with uh, with Olaf, and um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that for Maybe a few months. And these guys, yeah. And then Tomas is like, "Why am I doing four thousand things?" And then we just kind of shut her down. But uh, yeah, I've never had my own though. Hmm. But I've been on guests on lots of podcasts. Yeah. But never my own. I don't think I could host. I don't think I'd have the patience. Hmm. 
It's not bad. Um, the the I mean, you get a lot of. The, I think the hardest part, and, and um, the the one star reviews will say that is you know just thinking of um, uh, good. Uh, I, I I should probably edit that out. Um, you know, the, the finding the, the right questions to ask to to do it in such a way that it starts building off of one another. Like yeah. you, you, you want that cascade effect with, with, with certain questions. Um, is, so it that, odd, is it odd to have three people on a podcast then? I used to do this all the time. Um, huh. I used to have, um, all right. So this is the going way back. I, I used to have a quote unquote comedy photography website and a uh, uh, podcast called the lens wipe. Um, Oh, that's an awesome name. Oh, man. I, I, I wanted to find a name that was offensive sounding, but not actually being offensive um, for, for you, photography. You achieved that. I That's probably the only thing I did. Uh, <laughs> because I quickly found out that uh, comedy and photography do not mix very well. Um, a lot of photographers took it really personally. Um, and, uh, the, the jokes weren't even that, that bad. Um, it's true. Uh, There's a lot of ego. Uh, in, uh, in there, there is a lot of yeah. ego. Yeah. Um, so in, in one of the episodes, uh, and again, I, I, I was in my, uh, late twenties, early thirties. So I, I was. I was young and dumb. Uh, nowadays, I'm not young anymore. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, I, I said this joke. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, but uh, one photographer wrote to me laughing at it, saying that that was the, the, the funniest thing. It was something about uh, a, 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 something in a wedding that, that happens quite frequently. And I, and I made a joke off of that. Um, and, and another photographer wrote to me saying, uh, that was the most offensive thing he's heard. And, and he played that bit to a potential client to show them how immature I was so that he could get hired to do the wedding. And so I then sent him an invoice for $3,000 saying, use my <laughs> so just cost me. podcast. <laughs> Noise, um, noise. Yeah, yeah. Um, never did get the three thousand. I should write back to him. <laughs> no, but that, but that's that's actually very uh, uh, interesting. Uh, and and I will say something, maybe a, a big generalization, but on the on the film side of things, I've discovered a or rediscovered a community of of photographers that are maybe taking themselves a little bit less seriously and a little bit more forthcoming and trying to help. Versus trying to show off or, or to, to, you know, to be very serious about photography. I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, the people I've met along uh, the way uh, so far. But uh, I, I do find it uh, refreshing, at least, to see uh, people very, very uh, open, open-minded on that side. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the guys that I spoke with uh, on the podcast, he, Jason Kuberfeld, uh he does uh, the the YouTube channel uh, Grainy Days. Oh yeah, this guy is mm, yeah, it's good, darn funny and 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 very informative. He, he's he's finding the right balance. Yeah, he he is 
he was a lot of fun. And that conversation was really unique in that, like, for every question that I uh, said to him, he was throwing back questions back at me. And it's one of those moments was like, wait, I've never had this happen before. No one actually cares what I do. I mean, I mean, Mark, this the description of his YouTube channel is I dropped out of Harvard to save the photography game. I mean, who, who, who can say that? <laughs> I That's love this awesome. guy. I love this guy so much. And you know, who's that, that, that uh, Toronto guy with the cameras conspiracy on YouTube? He's hilarious too. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although he, I, don't, I don't think Fujifilm likes him anymore, though. They, no. they, were, they were sending him stuff before, but I don't think they got the humor because no. he insults every camera, even cameras that he loves. And actually, he kind of he, he actually he he loved Fujifilm. He kept on saying it doesn't do what I want, but for some reason, I keep on coming back to it. Right? <laughs> but Fuji, I don't think Fujifilm liked it. They don't send him any gear anymore. No. What, what is it? The Fujifilm assassins. Um, yeah. The Canon Banhammer. <laughs> no, the the Canon uh, what, what Cripple uh, Hammer or something like that. Yeah, I've seen those T-shirts around. <laughs> oh man, um, I um, I, I I like his stuff, but every now and then he he just it goes a little too too out there. Uh, yeah, you so have I'm, to stop watching for maybe a few months after. Like you can yeah. binge watch for like a week or two, and then after it's like okay, that's too much. It's like okay, eating chocolate break. cake every day. You got to yeah. give it a break and then come back to it fresh. Yeah, um, but then, uh, but then that feed it just it keeps suggesting things. Um, I can't think of anything else that pops up. Um, man, I, I got to get into doing something uh, on, on YouTube. I have a channel, and it's just it's just dormant. <laughs> I, uh, YouTube is tough, right, Fred? Oh yeah. They're very, very tough. You have to uh, invest a lot of time for sometimes uh, not a lot of reward. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's why I think podcasting, a lot of people had said to me, like if you're actually the last probably 10 videos that I've posted on YouTube, the last eight have been live Yeah, because it's so much easier for me. And it seems like my core audience watches. So if you do a gear review, you get like way more views, but they're not your core, right? I find yeah. I reach my core easier with my lives. And someone had said to me, I said, why do people like my lives? I, it's just a lazy way for me to create quick content because if you don't produce something once a week, YouTube's algorithm uh, demotes you. But as well, I just don't want to touch, I want to touch base with my, with my core. So instead of doing a little stories post or something, I'd rather just do a quick live video and say, hey, what's on your mind? What questions do you have? This is what I'm doing. And someone had said, because no other YouTuber does live, like camera review guys, they're, it's all preset, pre-planned. They know exactly what they're saying. Yeah. Sometimes it's off a script. It's very well produced and stuff, which is great. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Or for me, it's kind of off the cuff. I'm lazy. I'd rather not create the video. So if you could just ask me questions, I'll just answer it for you. And um, yeah, so it ended up being kind of like a video podcast. And I actually really enjoy it just it feeds off the audience right it's kind of like having a live audience in front of you i love the one techie when you you said uh currently at the mall and camera goes shopping and thought of oh, a good yeah. life <laughs> yeah people like my when i'm wandering around and that's why i miss traveling yeah. i used to do live instagram all the time but i think from now on i'm going to do live youtube in some random place and just start doing live stuff 
That's I think awesome. it'll be a lot of I think it'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean YouTube is, is tough. I've been doing it since 2015, I guess, 2014. It's 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 tough especially if you're not doing it to grow cuz I know what I need to do to make it grow. Um to be more mainstream and to do you know things that will get higher algorithms and also do sloppier reviews so like review a camera in like a day or two and then create the content and boom there's a video but i spend weeks reviewing like i i have about six leica videos that i've shot i haven't produced it yet but because i spend a month shooting with these cameras right yeah and then shoot thousands of photos do all these but you don't get rewarded for that you get rewarded by doing something quick and funny and catchy you know, yeah. and it works Thanks for Peter some. McKinnon. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know, Peter is a different ecosystem. Yeah, he's like yeah, a yeah. Casey Neistat. He could do whatever he wants and he's going to exactly. do well. But but a lot of YouTubers, you know, they do. I, I understand they review everything. So they get two cameras a week. They can't spend three weeks on something. But that's how you grow your channel is yeah. you review kind of everything and you you pump it out. You don't spend that much time with it. So you kind of give a superficial review of it. But it's not that deep, right? So that's why I focus mostly on Fujifilm and Leica and some film stuff to my ecosystem. Because if I add Canon and Ricoh and all these other ones, which I do sometimes, then it means all I'm doing is reviewing cameras and I can't do, you know, 50 hours of testing the camera. I got to only spend five hours to do it, which will lower the quality of my reviews. And and also at the same time, I can't write reviews for Fuji uh, Fuji Love anymore because Fuji Love audience would catch me in my mistakes right mm -hmm. so i gotta make sure i know exactly what i'm doing so i'm giving top-notch advice but you don't get paid well on youtube for top-notch advice no you're like the you're like the gordon lang right you're like the camera lab of youtube <laughs> <laughs> I, I my content comes out very slowly though yeah. i don't like video editing i'd rather just i'm not big enough to hire someone to do that but if i could i would hire a videographer hire an editor I just do the talking head. They fill in the rest. They shoot me on the streets, get B-roll, create the B-roll, and then just upload. If I had a partner that way, then I'd be happy. I can pump up maybe two or three videos a week. But if I'm by myself, I have three articles for Fujilove a month. And then I have a KEH-sponsored video once or twice a month. And then wherever I can squeeze in in between that, then I squeeze that stuff in. So maybe what you can do, Mark, is do like a video podcast on YouTube. Yeah. So like a Joe Rogan, right? That's what all he does, talks on screen. Yeah, and accuracy isn't important. So I guess that, so what you're saying is I don't have to be accurate anymore. Well, um, no, but I mean, look, look what we're doing. We're just kind of talking, right? Yeah, no, I'm just being silly. And, and, and oftentimes these good video uh, podcasters will have a partner in crime like a Lou Later, right? The Unbox Therapy guy. He has yeah. his sidekick on a laptop. Now, this it's not live, but... It's kind of like a talk show and he, Lou might say something like, Hey, they had sold 50,000 units. And the other guy looks it up on YouTube and finds it. And then he switches it over to him. So then he can bring it up and say, Oh yeah, yeah there you go. It's 60,000, not 50,000. So you can fat check, but you got to be with somebody else as well. I'm actually working on getting a, a camera and a good, decent background uh, set up to, uh, to do all that kind of recording. So, um, it's there. Um, in fact, my X-T3 is sitting on the tripod right now. Uh, I have a rear view, uh, rear view mirror popped on the, 
uh, top so that I can see what's happening on the LCD screen. Um, so I don't need a flippy screen. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all set up for it. I just need a decent background and I don't feel like cleaning up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I need to incorporate it in a script that I'm, uh, I don't care for the, the, the nice clean, um, you know, pristine sets. I, in fact, I have a messy bureau in the back. I might just, uh, put in like a couple LCD lights, one red and one, uh, one orange and one blue, um, just, just grossly placed in it just for the sake of having it there and just, you know, keep going with, I, I don't know, and do something, but, um, all you need is a neon sign. That's all you need. And then you're a YouTuber. I'm just kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> I would love a good neon sign. <laughs> Um, what should I have for a neon sign? Uh, the I one hour it? photo neon sign. That's the, that's the, the no, 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 lens, lens wipe. Oh yeah. Or whatever. Lens swipe, whatever, whatever. Just get one custom made. <laughs> I, uh, I'll, I'll have to look into that. That's not bad. <laughs> and that should be the name of your channel too. Yeah. I, I do own the channel. Oh, there um, you go. Well, there you go. What, what are we waiting for? I, I need to, um, Man, you're right. I got no excuses. <laughs> Laziness. <laughs> no, uh, YouTube is a huge commitment. That's why a lot of people said podcasting often is probably, it's not that it's easier overall in terms of succeeding, but in terms of like, you know, having to, like I have to worry about clothing. My wife, I look back to see what I wore last week. It's like, okay, don't repeat that same shirt. Don't. You know, you got to make sure you got regular haircuts or, you know, when you get glasses, you make sure they look good on camera and, and all those, all those things. Like, and then, like you said, background, make sure you got a good backdrop, good lights, good audio, uh, having external monitors. So even having that mirror on your LCD screen is nice to have a proper external, like even like a seven inch monitor and yeah. put that on like a magic arm. So then you could put focus peaking on there so you can know when you're in focus and you could just do quick checks to make sure that everything is framed up right. Um, you know, it's it's a bit of an investment of uh, of equipment, more so than than a podcast. And then just committing to a regular schedule because you are a slave to the algorithm on YouTube if you want to succeed. Yeah, I just have to get ready to make that dive. Um... Actually, you know what? I I do have a channel that uh, I, I just kind of refurbished. Um, it is a channel called Xmark. Um, it's the letter X and then M A R C. Um, it, it's uh, I I had it from a, a long time ago, back when I did um, uh, my my first Fujifilm podcast. Uh, God, what did I call that? I'm having such a brain fart tonight. Um, but anyway, it, it, I, I renamed it everything. And uh, now Isn't it's it the X line, the X line. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. How, how, how could I forget it? So I, instead of calling it X line, I, I just called it X mark. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, so I was thinking of, 
you know, some stuff, but I, what we talked about, I guess, applies for, 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 for there. And I have no choice now, but to buy an X pro three and do it. <laughs> that's, there you go. That's, Just write, write it off. There you go. Although, you know, the funny thing with the X pro three is that there's no HDMI out on it. Actually, it's a horrible camera for, for that kind of stuff. Did I say X Pro Three? I meant XT Four. XT Four, yes. For video, XT Four yeah. is great for video. Until the <laughs> XH Two. <laughs> Until the XH Two, which we all are anxiously awaiting, uh, after the Chip X Fifty S Mark Two or whatever else is going to come out. <laughs> Who knows what's coming out? But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. Fujifilm is really aggressive with medium format, which is great to see. But right it's a, it, but it's a different way of shooting for sure. You got to be careful when you shoot with the uh, with the GF, especially with the rolling shutter. You know, it's easy to hit over. Um, I guess it's one four thousandth of a second on the top shutter speed on that uh, GFX. Yeah, yeah. They, so they didn't improve the shutter. Not much improvement on rolling shutter as well. Not much improvement on ISO performance, which is fine. You know, it's fine because they are improving the things that people ask for, which is IBIS and uh, higher megapixels because a lot of the full frames were hitting that 50 megapixel mark. So they're like, oh, we got to stand out a little bit and there's enough room on the sensor. We can go 100 and definitely they can go 100. But on the next iteration, I'd love to see higher ISO performance mm. and improved rolling shutter. But that's a physical thing, right? Yeah. It's at, it's at a sensor silicone level. So they need to, mm. Sony has to invest in it. And the more medium for my cameras at Fujifilm sells, the more they can invest in the sensor. So hopefully this is a new market. Are, are so they the only one at that price point? Like is the phase one, do they have an option that, that that's close to the Fuji or it's... No, all... not even close. Phase one is just on a different level. Yeah. And they, I think they're, aren't they up to like 200 megapixels or 250 or something like that? They're, they're much higher than yeah, their megapixel count. But their ecosystem is like, red or ari or something when it comes to like videography it's just you're not just buying the sensor because some of the the reds they're using super 35 which is like APS-C right or even that black magic that little pocket black magic i think that's APS-C isn't it it's not it's not full frame no it's not but, but you're not buying just a sensor you're buying the entire ecosystem including the processing and all that kind of stuff and all the accessories and the lens mount and all the different video things like the pull focus units and all that kind of stuff, right? And that it all works integrated quite well. And I think that's what Fujifilm isn't in that realm yet. They make the lenses for all those things, but they don't have their own video camera, which like I said, it'd be nice to see them making something, if they can, a medium format based uh, video camera system, which would be cool. But it, it'll be quite expensive. I don't think it'll be cheap, but it'll be cheaper than anything else out there right now. So. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, I think they can definitely do it. I mean, look at how much they dropped the price of meeting format once they entered the realm, right? Yes. It is. Uh, who knew that they could do that? But there it is. Well, the biggest uh, thing is lenses. I mean, oh, yeah. because they can make them no problem. They have the technology, right? Canon has never made medium format. Nikon has never made medium format cameras. I think some of the lenses, like the... Um, the um, Miticon Makina, the Makina, Pablao Makina uses a, a Nikkor lens, but they don't make medium format cameras. The Sony, they make the sensors, but they don't make medium format cameras. The biggest stumbling block for them is they can't design the lenses. They don't know how to make the lenses. 
Fujifilm can. They've made medium format broadcast cine lenses for decades. So for them to get into it is, I wouldn't say easy, but it just came down to the sensor, which they got from Fuji, uh, from Sony. And then a matter of making the body, which is just expanding the size of these X-series bodies. Because some of the dials, you look at the GFX50S and you're like, oh, that's the exact same ISO dial from the X-H1. Oh, look at that screen. That's the same one from the X-T2. And look at that back button. That's the same from... So they just sort of had existing parts and they just kind of borrowed it and put it into the GFX-50S, right? Which helped them make it. Than that, because video, medium format video, uh, I think can be, it's very on topic. And we are out of time. We are so over time. You you guys (laughs) should be sleeping by now. It's only 7.30 here. What's happening? Oh my goodness. I I still have to run to the uh, drugstore to uh, pick up some meds. Um, sinus infection that, that I'm, I'm battling. Um, guys, this, this was a lot of fun. We got to do this more often. Um, I, I had such a amazing time sitting here chatting with you guys. Um, I, I, I think we should have like at least a quarterly thing where, you know, we bring in Fuji love and, and just sit here and, and talk shop. What, what do you guys think? Let's Absolutely. do it. The only thing is I'm out West, but we can make it work, right? Oh, we made it work tonight. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But I did have to eat dinner at 4 p.m. Oh, small sacrifices. Uh. <laughs> well, we can all drink wine, right? So it's after 5 in Vancouver and out east. So next time we, we you know, a nice little glass of wine and, and off we go. Awesome. That sounds good. Sounds and, good. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll be... Uh, uh, one camera richer, a, a couple grand poor. <laughs> well, whatever you do, tag us on Instagram and let us know when you get it. Yeah, you got it, man. Um, but it, it was awesome having you guys. Take, tell the world where they can find you on the web. Uh, if you just type in Big Head Taco, it everything pops up from Twitter to YouTube to Instagram. It's all the same. Awesome. How about you, Fred? Yeah, I'm Fred Ranger on all the platforms. Very cool. And you can find me, Mark Sadowski, on all the platforms as well. Uh, just remember, it's Mark with a C. And uh, as always, check out Fuji Love for the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm. Uh, whether you're looking at the, the Fuji Love articles, uh, the, the Fuji Love YouTube channel, uh, and you're already listening to the podcast, and, and if you made it to the end, thank you so much. Um, and definitely let us know what you think uh, about the roundtable discussion. Uh, send us a note to fujilovefeedback at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think. And uh, more importantly, let me know what camera I should buy next. <laughs> I think that'll be a, a, a good little experience there. But X-Pro. from all of us. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. From all of us to all of you, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.